Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. Ollie's at the wheel. How good does it feel? James and Max, welcome to the show. How are we, boys? Very good. It's one of the, the best weeks I've had as being a Liverpool fan with all the United fans in the group chat. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, very, very good week. Oh, it's just it's like a dream, really, isn't it? Like, you don't... Like, 5-0 at Old Trafford just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Not even in my dreams does that happen. And then it did happen. And, and yeah, Ollie's at the wheel. He's on that little Austin Powers cart, just going backwards and forwards in the <laughs> corridor. And we're loving it. For anyone who hasn't seen Austin Powers, just A, watch it. And B, yeah, that quote will make no sense to you. <laughs> uh, it was exactly like you say. It was. It felt watching it like a Liverpool fan had just written a script for the match. And that's just what was happening in front of our eyes. Like five the other way. Old Trafford, our best ever result at Old Trafford. Um, the first time ever an opposition player scored a hat trick at Old Trafford in the Premier League era, one of their, you know, most humiliating ever defeats. And I mean, I don't think I'm using hyperbole here. I think they no. genuinely, this is one of the worst days in Manchester United's modern history, at least um, in, in a footballing perspective. There was a lot of chat on the media about how bad Man United were. But let's talk about just how good Liverpool were because even though you could say, and I would be one of those people who say that, we didn't even really get out no. of second gear. But I... in those moments when it counted, we were so clinical. And let's just give Liverpool a little bit of love because a lot's been focused on Man United and how bad they were. But let's talk about Liverpool. I don't even think we got out of first gear. I think we were just still in neutral. Uh, I, I don't think we needed to do that much. I just think... The, the team just oozes class at the moment. It's so confident. The confidence is going from the back to the front. And, you know, let's not put it lightly. This is still a front three of United that had, you know, the likes of Mason Greenwood, Ronaldo, Rashford. And Liverpool, you know, restricted them to basically nothing. Ronaldo had the goal that was disallowed. But I can't really remember a chance created by one of those three where I thought these look dangerous. So it's credit to Liverpool, especially with the uh, the stop-start with the injuries, Naby having to go off and Milner having to go off and the lads coming on. I think we really have now got that mentality of next man up. You know, as soon as one man's missing, the next person comes in. But yeah, that first, I, I said um, on the last show that the 13 minutes against Atletico Madrid was the best I've seen Liverpool this season. The 11 minutes against Manchester United was probably the best I've seen. They couldn't get a touch on the ball. We were first to everything and it's just vintage Liverpool all over again. I think I had my heart in my mouth on three occasions in this game. One was the very early Bruno Fernandes chance that he... Did he sky it or did yeah. Alisson Blazed it. Blazed it over. Blazed it he over. blazed it. Greenwood, I think, is the only Manchester United player who came out of this game with any form of credit. Um, Subbed at halftime as well. Yeah. I Like, I... I don't understand that decision. Like, with how shit Bruno Fernandes and, let's be honest, Ronaldo were, I thought Greenwood was their best player. He I a, do as well. And he hit a fantastic shot that Allison saved in the um, uh, in the first half from range, similar to the one De Gea saved from Alexander-Arnold, actually. Pretty much the same position, same area. Um, and then um, <laughs> heart was in my mouth when Ronaldo scored. But then seeing that, 
little VAR just pop up was just, oh, it was nectar of the gods. It was so good, especially after he lashed out like a five-year-old at Curtis Jones, who's like half his age. Um, (laughs) It's just, oh, God, it's just, United were pathetic in every single sense of the word, from their attitude to their output to their defending Every single facet of that football club right now is pathetic and it's brilliant. Yeah, and like you say, some of the you know behavior on the pitch from some of the Man United players really I thought was out of order. Like there's a way of losing, but it seemed like some of the challenges that were flying in. We talked about it off air a little bit, like the Curtis Jones, uh, Ronaldo and Curtis Jones. She obviously had the nabby injury from Pogba that got him sent off. Bruno Fernandes put a nasty one on Jones as well that I thought was pretty bad news. Lucky to get away with just a yellow card. But do we, again, from a Liverpool perspective, when we look at Liverpool's greatest ever victories, take away like the finals where you've won trophies, but in terms of Premier League matches, this has got to be up there as like one of the best victories in the history of Liverpool Football Club, hasn't it? Oh no, this is number one in my lifetime. In terms of just Premier League, this is number one and, and nothing will nothing will ever it's going to take a lot to top this. To go to Old Trafford, to beat them 5-0, um, to do it so convincingly, to have Ronaldo crying before half-time, you know. And then it's, it's going back to what Max said but about their attitude, is as soon as Ronaldo did that, only Fernandez went over to kick off with Van Dijk, Canate, Henderson. <laughs> you know, all the Liverpool players rushed over, but just all the United players stood on the halfway line with their hands on the hips. But, um, going back to what you said, look, no, this is this is the happiest I've been after a Premier League win. Um, it's been something that I think has been a long time coming for Solskjaer this season. I think he's needed a drumming like this for everyone sort of to see a little bit more sense. Obviously, the comeback against Atalanta just papers over the cracks, but in terms of us, it, it's just everything. And especially after Brighton, uh, City beating Brighton and Chelsea beating Norwich. I think that much makes it all the sweeter. I think everyone was starting to think, you know, if Liverpool don't get the results here, the, you know, the falling away from them to sort of win 5-0 at Old Trafford, to see them leaving the stadium at halftime, to see Fergie looking like he'd seen the ghost of Christmas past <laughs> at one point, um, just makes it all worth it. I think for me, it's, it's one of two, because it depends if you factor performance into it, because Liverpool didn't have to get out of first gear. We were actually a bit sloppy at times in the first half. We're um, letting the ball go in midfield a few times. Um, but we were just ruthless in front of goal. And the defence played beautifully. Um, I think the only rival, and this is just because of how good the performance was, is probably when we beat Arsenal at Anfield 5-1 um, in the 13-14 season. Not into like in terms of the context of the game, yeah. This is my favorite. It's this is my favorite ever result. Maybe not my favorite ever game is how I would describe this because like it was so easy the entire time. There was no threat that Manchester United were going to come back. Whereas that 13 14 game, that was every single player on top of their game, absolutely demolishing the team who at the time were leading the title race and they got demolished at Anfield. So it's 
it's my favorite ever result, but probably not my favorite ever performance is how I would describe it. There was a wonderful moment in the game where I think, I mean, it might have been just before the second half started actually where Sky did a little montage of doom for Manchester United, where it went from a couple of fans in the crowd with their hands on the hips, Sir Alex Ferguson just kind of almost half <laughs> chuckling as he was shaking his head at a, at a friend as if to say, what on earth is happening? Kenny Dalglish just living his absolute best life in the director's box. <laughs> and then all of the fans just pouring out of Old Trafford. And it was just that little montage, even more than the actual goals for me, was just absolute inject it into my veins, pure joy. Um, what was your guys' best moment of the actual match? Uh, was it, there's a couple of things that stand out for me, that Henderson pass for Salah's, you know, hat-trick goal, I thought was outstanding if Kevin De Bruyne does that. It's on montages all week. So the way that Salah so clinically and so confidently took his second goal first time, not an easy finish, but it just shows the confidence absolutely flowing out of the, out of the man at the moment. Um, what was your best moment? There's, there's two, and they have nothing to do with the goal. So the first <laughs> favourite moment was Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire hugging each other as the ball went out wide. <laughs> um, so, so for Trent to score the set uh, to cross him for the second goal, and my other favorite moment was I only f- I forgot about it until I saw the pictures on, on Twitter was how Fred tried to kick off with Kanate, yes. And f- Fred's like what five foot, four, See about five, five, eight, five, 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 five nine, I reckon. Six. And then you've got Kanate, who's this absolute beast of a man, <laughs> <laughs> and then. You see the picture where Fred tries to put his hand up to Canate's face, and I just think he gets up to his chest. <laughs> he gets nowhere near himself. Watching Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw fall into each other and the Fred trying to kick off with Canate are my two favourite moments because I think as, as good as the goals were, I just think the comedy from United just, just about beats it. Yeah, I think mine's got to be... Oh, it's tough. I think I think one again. This is the taking the piss out of your rivals is almost as good as the. Oh, if in this case, yeah. better than the actual win. My first one is Ronaldo getting his goal ruled out. That was just the that was the cherry on top for me. Was Ronaldo scoring what was objectively a really good goal, um, and then getting it ruled out for like a very very narrow offside <laughs> um, was very funny. Um, hopefully that doesn't come back to bite us in the arse, but I'm sure it will at some point. <laughs> it already um, has. We've already had some dodgy VAR decisions in the past, so we've already had all the bad luck last year. No, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. Um, and then my other one is the <laughs> is the realisation from Ronaldo on how outmatched he is when he, he, he has his go at Curtis Jones. Who, Curtis Jones, like he's not the most physically imposing guy. And then you get Van Dyke just puts his shoulder into him. Ronaldo takes the step back, and then Canate comes in. I'm just like, shit, I wouldn't want to be in Ronaldo's shoes right now. Um, so going from some really great moments in the game, there was obviously a couple of, of negatives from a Liverpool perspective. Um, most of all, obviously, the, in, the injury for Naby Keita, because I think that's probably one of the best performances I've ever seen from Naby uh, in a Liverpool show. We've spoken about him a lot <clears throat> in recent weeks on the show about you know, he can do some really wonderful things going forward, but do we really trust him in the big games defensively? There's always been, obviously, question marks about his fitness. Gen- more generally, obviously, he, he can't help that on, on 
with this example, but what did you guys first of all think of his performance? It was and also unfortunately we do have to talk about another injury for Naby, despite it this time not being his fault at all. Not that it's ever his fault, but this isn't just a general fitness issue. This is obviously the result of an awful challenge from Pogba. I was I was very, very impressed um about that, uh, about his performance. I thought the way he got forward and the way he got back was. You know, it was a lot better than the Atletico Madrid game. Yes, he was great going forward in that game, but it was his defensive side that sort of, like, like you said, let him down. But I think the, the, the best you get from Navi is, is when you say to him, just just express yourself, just, just run around with that front three and just play behind them and link up with them and we'll have a Henderson or Milner or Fabinho to sort of clean up the mess for you. Um, I think if you allow him to do that, then I think that's the best you're going to get out of Navi. He's... He reminds me of of Genie, how he drives the ball forward. Not how, obviously, how he defends Genie was completely different in that regards, but how he gets the ball in tight areas, can twist, can turn, and then can just start an attack from off. Because if you think about it, really, if he had any defensive responsibility, he shouldn't be bursting that far forward for the first goal. He shouldn't be ahead of when Salah gets the ball. Maybe he's already five yards ahead of him. So I think if you can give him that, you know, give him the instruction of right you just sit sit with the front uh, behind the front three link up the play between the two if we're playing a double pivot or, or whatever we're playing um I think that's the best you're going to get out of Naby. Yeah I mean I, I was very impressed with him. I mean still managed to annoy me in the classic way that sometimes it's not just him our midfielders do just but Naby it's just about he's so talented and he performed so well but then he did give the ball away a few times like fairly simple passes but I don't want that to be the focus he he played so well yeah. his finish past De Gea who's been in brilliant form it should be said David De Gea yeah, um was absolutely fantastic just so calm so clinical and then his anticipation for the th- Third, yes, third goal. I, I'm getting the goals mixed up. There were that many of them. Um, <laughs> his anticipation for the third goal to make that run to the right side of the box and play it back across, beautifully done. Um, yeah, I thought he was fantastic. I think probably his best game for us was against Chelsea in the uh, title winning, um, in the title lifting game at Anfield. But I think this was pretty <clears throat> damn close. And, th- and this was in a game that matters, really, because obviously that was yeah. the day we lifted the trophy, but it was all done and dusted by then. This is in, you know, the biggest game Liverpool have had this season so far, I would argue, with, as James already mentioned, the psychological pressures of Chelsea and City winning pretty convincingly the day before um, to go to Old Trafford and do what we did. It was just fantastic. Another guy I'd like to highlight, because I think when the teams were announced on Sunday, the biggest question mark we had, other than Fabinho's absence, which I'm sure we were all absolutely... <laughs> very concerned about before a ball was kicked when it needn't have been, was that Ibrahim Kanate obviously started and played the whole match ahead of Joel Matip. Um, I think a lot of Liverpool fans were a little bit surprised that he, he was thrown into such a big game. But for my money, he was an absolutely excellent defensive performance. A couple of occasions, he probably got dragged out wide a little bit. But other than that, in the air, so dominant. Yeah, he was... He was unbelievable. You wouldn't have thought it was his only. It was only his second Premier League start since he signed for us, and you know, and apart from that, he's only played in Carabao Cup games. You know, against like against Norwich. So, you know, he, he really did impress me. I think the only error that I can remember was 
the one that led to the Bruno chance in the first couple of minutes where he slides in, where he probably doesn't need to, and then United get the ball back and quickly go on the counter-attack. But that's the only the only thing I can remember from Canate. Apart from that, I thought he was absolutely flawless. I thought he was big and strong. He kept Ronaldo quiet. <clears throat> Rashford had a quiet game as well, considering, you know, he would have thought, all he would have said, target Trent side. Um, especially once the team sheet was out, because obviously Rashford does tend to have a good game against you know Trent, and obviously if he's got Canate alongside him, you know a, a partnership that hasn't really formed, you know it would make Liverpool a lot more, yeah, you know weaker weaker on that side. So I think he dealt with it really well, and I think now we he might just start asking the question. I know Matip's definitely going to be the number one starter now, but I think he's just sort of knocking on that door a little bit more, and I think you can see why. Liverpool were so keen to get the deal done as early as they did before the summer window even opened. I think there are quite a few similarities between Canate and Matter. I think that he is the long-term replacement for Matip. Um, there was a moment in the second half where he, he got the ball. Sorry, first half, first half. He got the ball and he did the classic Matip bring the ball out, run into midfield and create space for everyone else. And I was just like, that's the massive move. That is the massive move. And unlike massive, he doesn't look like a giraffe that's about to fall over. Um, <laughs> never does though. He never does. No, he never does. He never does. <laughs> he never does. Matip is that absolutely gorgeous type of giraffe that looks like he's going to fall over, but doesn't. So um, yeah, he, um, I thought he played beautifully, though. I think the only... It's not really an issue, because letting Ronaldo go past you one-on-one is not exactly death. Um, but he, I think he could have done a little bit better for the disallowed goal, maybe got across the shot. But, you know, as I said, like Cristiano Ronaldo beating you onto his right foot is not, you know, it's not, not a death sentence by any means. The guy's a five-time Ballon d'Or winner. Um, uh, so... Yeah, um, he's, yeah, I thought he played beautifully. And unlike Matip, and I, I know I've mentioned this a few times, but he's got that recovery pace that Matip doesn't. And I think if he can settle in over the next year or so, I think that he he will be a fixture next to Van Dyke. I think, going forward. And I feel really sorry for Joe Gomez, to be honest, because I just, <clears throat> aside from cup games and when Van Dyke's getting rotated, I just don't see where... I don't see where he gets a game, to be honest. Well, that, that's what I was just going to ask, because just um, seeing on, on social media today, and obviously this is probably just a complete rumour that, that I've not seen any particularly reliable source, but it has been some suggestions that Gomez is a little bit unhappy at the minute, that he's not getting more game time and that he really wants to be in England's World Cup squad for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar next, next year. And if things don't change in the next six to 12 months in terms of game time, he may even consider you know exploring the possibility of leaving Liverpool um well, what do we think on that one uh, I tend to agree with Max like at the moment obviously a lot can change in football at the moment I can't really see where Gomez's games are going to come over than the um other than the cups yeah it, it does does seem like a long time ago where it was Van Dijk and Gomez that were the the number you know the, the, the partnership that we had and it was Matip sat on the bench and I think it was due to that. I think it was Burnley away where Gomez suffered that ankle injury that kept him out for the whole, basically the rest of the season. And then Joel Matic came in and just couldn't be moved from there. But 
like like Max said, the only, the only way I can see him getting into the team is squad rotation, Carabao Cup, and if Trent wants to rest at right back, and you don't really want to play Milner at right back again. The the only times I can see him playing it is unfortunate. I mean, he's he still is only a young lad, but on the on paper, when you look at his injury history, it's it's too big to to be at a you know a club like Liverpool and and to be knocking on Jurgen Klopp's door saying I want to be you know alongside you know Van Dijk. I think what Klopp wants, especially after last season, is stability in his back four and stability in his two centre halves. And I think with Joe Gomez at the moment, he seems to sneeze on him and he's out for four weeks or or something goes wrong with him. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be really tough for him to get into the starting eleven. And if he wants to go, then, you know, there's no no grudges held because I rate him as a really top centre-half and he's still only young. And like you said, there's a World Cup on the horizon that he's probably going to think he can get in ahead of John Stones or Harry Maguire if he started week in, week out. So, um, if he did want to leave, then then you can understand. But, yeah, he's, he's going to find it really hard to get back into the starting eleven. I think in terms of him leaving, I think it might be a bit soon um, to start worrying about that. He's, you know, he's still a young lad and I'm sure that Klopp is on to him saying, look, don't, you know, don't worry. You're going to get games and, you know, it, it, and if you perform really well in those games, you perform really well in training, I'll give you the chance like I gave Kanata the chance. And he does have history of doing that, Klopp. You know, if you do, if you really impress him, he will reward you. Um, he's got. I think the big, the biggest issue that Gomez has, and it's not a new thing, is that with how high a line we play and the amount of long balls that get played over top, his aerial prowess is just not in the same stratosphere as Canate, Matip, or Van Dyke. It's just not. And every aerial ball that we lose when our fullbacks are up the pitch is a potential chance. And I think that is the issue that Gomez <laughs> has got. So until he's a big lad as well, he must be 6'2". Um, until Gomez sorts that out, I think he's always going to have issues because he's got the recovery pace. He's good with the ball at his feet, can hit a lovely long pass. Um uh, he's a decent one-on-one defender from his time at a fullback. Um, has really helped him out on that front. But he's got a bit of the Wamba-Saka issue in that under a high ball at the far post in particular, he's got history of struggling with that. And, it's, and also against big strikers who lean on him physically. So, look, I hope he stays around. I really like him, and I don't think that he will be sold this year, I just can't see it happening because A, who's going to pay the, I can't imagine it's demanding any less than 40, 45 million pounds for him. Um, who's going to pay that? And the answer is pretty much no one. And B, who are we going to get? Who's going to be happy to go, yeah, I'm going to play fourth fiddle behind Canate, <laughs> Gomez and Van, uh, sorry, um, Canate, Matab and Van Dijk, but is also good enough to go into the team. That that is a very very rare player. Yeah, I don't think we need to worry about it too much yet either. Um, there's probably not even that much substance in the rumor, but I thought it was a, it was a good opportunity to have a little bit of a chat about Gomez. Um, 
Before we move on to look at the next game, um, we'll spend a little bit more time dwelling on this one, um, seeing as it's so amazing. But do you think Liverpool's performance this weekend has really shown up Man United for, for what they are really? And we, I think most sensible fans would know for a while that Ronaldo's last-minute winners or the way they've kind of pulled it out of the fire against average teams, such as your Atalantis, for example, um, you, we've known that that means there is a bigger issue and they're not really serious target contenders. But do you think this is the moment where the whole world wake up and actually think, actually, yeah, they are really bad? Uh, I, I think it's, I think this performance is more of the likes of, I mean, Gary Neville has had Solskjaer's back all the way through this, all, the, all this season. He's never called for him to be sacked. But on Sunday, for the first time, I felt like he turned a little bit and was sort of, there needs to be, something needs to change, something's not right, you can't go losing 5-0 to Liverpool. I mean, if you look at the results this season, the only convincing win they've had was Leeds on the opening day of the season, where they won 4-5-1. Newcastle as well, to be fair, at home. Yeah, there's there's just those two. Because then you've, a last-minute penalty save stops you from getting... Beat, uh, saves you, stops you from drawing at West Ham. A disallowed goal against Everton stops you from getting beat. You've been beaten by Villa. Wolves just couldn't score. So, so there's a few times now where they've scraped results um, and they've had the easiest fixture list out of the whole of the top top six or the top four title contenders that it was of Liverpool, City, Chelsea, United. This was their first real test of a top, top team and I mean, they just got carved open. And I think the pit, the cracks probably papered over, like I said before, in the comeback against Atalanta. Like you said, Ronaldo scoring his last-minute winner. Everyone's jumping up and down. But then when the dust settles, I think you have to come to terms with this is... And I was saying this to somebody today, that I think this team at the moment is worse than the Moyes team. In terms of... He's got better players. You know, he's got a World Cup winner. He's got a Euros winner in Ronaldo uh, and Pogba. You know, Ronaldo's won, what's it, four or five Champions Leagues he's won? So it's not like it's, he's, you know, he's struggling with plays. He's got world-class talent all over. And all they've done since they've come into United is regress. So, yeah, I think this is something that I think neutral fans have sort of, we've known all the while, all the season that, you know, United aren't team and a result like this has been coming. But I think it's been a big wake-up call for some United fans who've always been Oli in and for some people in the media who've always had his back. And I think this is this is sort of condemning, really. And I think now this is why you're seeing all the rumours that Solskjaer is going to get sacked, Conte's linked with a job, Sedan's linked with a job. I think this could have been the... If it was a game of Jenga, I think Liverpool have just pulled out the final, final block before it all comes tumbling down. I love Jenga metaphors. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I, I find this team so odd, this United side, because last year they weren't that bad. They really weren't like that. But I think the issue is, is that they had a plan. They had a plan of sit deep, you know, don't press too much, let Cavani and Rashford you know, do a bit of it, but like in a mid block, not pushing right high up the pitch. But then for some reason, 
post-signing Ronaldo, who is the worst presser in in the Premier League at the moment, probably as a striker, um, or certainly one of, they've decided to completely change how they play. And it just doesn't suit their team at all. And it means that all these signings they've made have just had their lives made so much more difficult. And Bruno Fernandes, now that Ronaldo isn't... um, Because when Cavani was playing out front for them, Cavani would press. And that meant that there wasn't as much of an issue with Bruno Fernandes playing as sort of a, a... Not a false nine, but like a sort of second striker playing behind him and not pressing as much. It wasn't as much of an issue. But now that Ronaldo's playing there and Bruno is playing, is pushing so far up, it means that Fred and Scott McTominay or Paul Pogba have got the entire midfield to cover all by themselves, which just isn't going to work, especially when you have Rashford and Greenwood out wide who are both essentially strikers. Like, there's no balance to that team whatsoever. I mean... I think that now they're going to go, okay, this pressing thing is not working. We're going to go back to what we were doing in terms of sitting deep and trying to counterattack, which with a guy who's as aerially dominant as Ronaldo is, I don't really understand why they've moved away from it because having Ronaldo is more of a target man sort of number nine and hitting balls to him and getting him to, you know, make those movements um, away from defenders like he does and bring Bruno, Rashford and Greenwood into play or Sancho, I think would actually be a half-decent game plan and reduces some of their limitations. It's it's all on Ollie. The pieces are there, I think, for United, or mostly at least. But it's just the way they're managed and the way they're coached. So next up for the Reds in the Premier League is Brighton on Saturday. Obviously, there's a League Cup trip to Preston before then, but we're going to focus on the Brighton game um, in particular. And... Are we a, bit, a little bit concerned about what the midfield may look like? We seem to have got a few less bodies there than we started, thanks to Manchester United's actions on the weekend. Um, there was a report today, well, an update today from Pep Linders, where he kind of said that we're not going to see James Milner again um, until at least after the next international break. Um, Fabinho should be back for Brighton. Naby Keita, he described as good, but not really a time frame there. Um, for, and for you know, Naby Keita's good could be very different to someone else's. And Thiago apparently will be back in training next week, so probably won't be back for Brighton. Um, so I guess the good news is that Fabinho is back for one because he's one we we'll definitely will miss. Um, but are you concerned in any way about how the midfield may appear on the weekend? Uh, I'm not too concerned. Not when you can still have Fabinho, Henderson and either Curtis Jones or Oxlade Chamberlain as your midfield three. I think you know any of either Jones or Chamberlain is good enough to beat Brighton at home. Um, so I'm not really too concerned. I think it's going to be coming into if you know if they were any prolonged, if they were instead of being a week or two weeks, they were four or five weeks, then I'd be more concerned. But the Milner one, not really too concerned about that. I think it's about time he had a, a break from the first team because to play three games in a week against the teams that he did, surprised he still, you know, he's not. Got his inhalers by, uh, by the side of him. But, you know, um, I think, yeah, if it was anything longer than obviously what Linders gave us the update on, then I'd be concerned. But like I said, I think if you can still have a midfield three of Fabinho, Henderson and Jones, or, or like I said, Chamberlain, 
then I still think it stands puts Liverpool in a good position to get three points at the weekend. Yeah, I, I'm not hugely concerned. Um, as long as Fabinho's back, I'm happy. Um, I'm Brighton are a good side, and Graham Potter is a smart cookie. Um, so I'm wary going into this game. I know they've had a couple, like they they drew with Norwich, which takes some doing. Um, but Potter's. Potter's a smart boy, and this will not be an easy game. We're not going to win this 5-0, I don't think. Um, we should still win. Um, the midfield should be fine. Also, Chamberlain's performed really well the last couple of um, sub-appearances he's had. Yeah. yeah, I think he's looked all right. I, th- I think um, if it's Jones or Ox with Henderson and Fabinho, I've very few issues. Um but yeah, I, mm, I'm. Look, I, I still think we'll win, but I think this game could be quite nervy. And in terms of st- like sticking with team selection, I guess center. In terms of the centre backs, we imagine that Gomez will play against against Preston and one other. But um, would you keep Kanate in, given how impressive he was against Manchester United, or would you go back to Joel Joel Matip for this one? I think there might be a Champions League game the week the next midweek against Atletico as well to bear in mind so. yeah no I'd go back to Matip as, as impressive as Canate was and we spoke about how good he was I think you know you want to always go back to your strongest centre half you know Perrin I think this is sort of the the, you know, the massive difference what we had last year we can actually rotate centre halves now and rotate good quality centre halves we're not Praying that if Reese Williams goes down with an injury, he's not injured because we've we're one injury away from asking the tea lady to to start at centre half. But I think um, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely go back with Matip. And you know, I think Canate, I'd expect him to play tomorrow. And like you said, in the Atletico Madrid game, because you know the Carabao Cup, we should be going through against Preston, even with the second team and against Atletico Madrid. As long as we don't get beat, you know, we should we should be out of the group. So. Yeah, I think it's go all out in the Premier League now. I think there's a potential banana skid where you know Chelsea have got Newcastle and Palace tend to get good results against City. So I think, again, we just need to keep up the pace with those two teams. And the only way you're going to do that is by paying your better players. And I think that's why Matip has to start. Yeah, I think, um, I think Matip needs to start. If anything, because Brighton... Unlike United, unlike Chelsea, unlike quite a few teams, they don't rely on their physical capabilities up front. None of their players are like particularly fast, particularly strong or anything like that. Where they create chances is really clever movement around the box and really nice little um, through balls from people like Trossard and people like um, our old friend Adam Lallana. Um, into Neil Mope, who's a bit of a, he's a bit of a, f- bit of a bastard. Is that what you're going to say? He's a bit of a bastard. <laughs> he is a bit in of a, a good, bastard. A, but I was, I nearly described way. him as like Firmino, but he is quite different. But they take up, <sighs> they take up similar positions. They're not. He's not quite a point number nine. Yeah. Mope, yeah. he drops in quite a lot, and I think against a player like that, you want someone who's 
really smart at tracking movements, really good at defending space. And that's something Matip is brilliant at. Um, you know, just turning up in the right positions when he's required. And I think that sort of experience would be really helpful against Brighton and how their attack works. Um, and I think Fabinho would be very important because I remember last time we played Brighton at Anfield, they played Dan Byrne as a wingback and they just pumped long balls behind our midfield towards Alexander-Arnold's side with six foot odd seven Dan Byrne up against Alexander-Arnold in the air, which is just a brutal recipe. Um, so I think having Fabinho there, who's you know, a big lad himself, not quite Dan Byrne size, but someone who can drop in, in into that channel yeah. off the ball and at least compete with Byrne for those aerial duels, I think would be quite important because I would be very surprised if Brighton didn't try and play, um, try and pull a similar move. Yeah, and in terms of the game itself and, and the result, we'd all obviously expect a win at home um, to Brighton at Anfield. But again, we talk about psychology a lot recently and we spoke last week about how significant winning at Old Trafford would be, let alone winning in the manner we did. But now the next game, is it almost like, you know, in the 80s when Ronnie Moran used to say to the lads after, after a great, great win in the league, right onto the next one and there's no point winning five in at Old Trafford if you don't go and then win at Anfield against Brighton the next game if you know we're in a title race we can't dwell on this too much and I know that Klopp won't let let the players but we just need to be fully focused on the task at hand because Max rightly says Brighton are a very tricky team starting the season extremely well and they can cause us problems yeah 100% I think if you know, the last three years, I think we've we've seen that treat every fixture the same under Jurgen Klopp. You know, especially the season we finished second under Manchester City. I don't think I think from that season onwards we haven't took any opponent lightly. Um, because in Klopp's, I think we just signed Van Dyke. We beat Man City four three at home, and then went and lost one nil away at Swansea City. So, you know, we've we've seen it before. We've gone through these moments where Liverpool have got a big result, and then they've. They've let it go past them and failed to build on the momentum. But like I said at, at the beginning of the show, it's this is a completely different Liverpool team. It's oozing class, it's oozing confidence. And these are the games where you know you've you've got to go and get the three points because like I said, I, I do think there might be a slip up between one of the three teams this weekend, just because I think all three teams have got tricky fixtures. I think you know, Palace have been a lot more impressive than the points total that they've got. And I think Newcastle seems to be something there since the takeover. And obviously we've got Brighton who are flying at the moment, but um, the, the confidence I've got in the Brighton game is I didn't know until I had to look at the league table today. They've only scored nine goals all season, which is pretty low for a team that's high up in the league. So I think if we can sort of keep them in their own half and don't let them and pin them in and keep that press up, then I think there should be no problems. But, if, especially if we want to win that title come the end of the season, which I am more confident week by week that, that that is something that's going to happen. But I think we just need to treat every game as we have been doing as it's just a normal game. Uh, I think Salah said it, you know, he, he said on Sunday in his interview after the game, I think Jeff Stone tried to get it out of him about how big it was to win at United. And, you know, Salah said, it's just a three points. We've got to play Brighton. You know, he said, we've got the Carabao Cup and then we've got to, We've got to play another game at the weekend and 
I think if you've got the best player in the world saying that, then I think that's going to you know, trip its way through the rest of the team. Yeah, I think where Brighton's threat will be will be through their wing-backs. Um, Kukurea, Kucharella, Kukurea, I'm, I'm, apologies to any Spanish friends who, um, who know how to pronounce his name better than I do. I've heard it different ways. Um, uh, and Tarek Lamptey looks like he's going to be finally coming back on the right-hand side for them. And I really, really like him. I think he's really good, such yeah. a good young wing back. And he is rapid as well, that kid. He's so fast. Um, so I think shutting down their wing backs is going to be vital. If we can keep their wing backs pinned in a five and don't let them go into a three, I don't think it's going to be hugely complicated. Uh, but if Lampsy in particular starts getting joy down that left-hand side and starts getting in behind Robbo, we could have some issues. So we've really got to make sure. I, I think Mane has got to um, get his place back in the team uh, to have some have a bit more pace, a bit more dribbling ability in behind Lampsy and just try and keep him pinned. Great. So fingers crossed for another good week for the Reds and hopefully we get the three points against Brighton and that's all for this week James Max as always thank you for your time and what has been the most splendid of Anfield Central podcast episodes it's always good to speak to you boys but uh this week has been particularly better I love a splendid episode of the Anfield Central podcast (laughs) um yeah always great to chat after a big win and um yeah I shall speak to you guys very soon I think the, my use of splendid has just made this the most middle class outro of all time. But... I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, until until then, there's plenty more Anfield Central podcast content you can get from us on our website, anfieldcentral.co.uk. And of course, on Twitter at Anfield underscore central. All our podcasts are also available on Apple Pods and Acast. Um, but until next time, goodbye.